made a way for sinners like you and me. That he has made the way in which we can experience life, not only in this present life, but forever. As he has perfectly closed the gap that our sin created between us and God and the perfection that he requires through Jesus Christ. It's a great word this morning for us. And this morning, I want to, again, if you have a, uh, a child that is uh, four and five, uh, some, uh, I think, did you say Alicia? Is that right, Tommy? Alicia is the teacher. She is uh, taking them to the back for a time of, of teaching in this in an age-appropriate uh, setting for them. And they'll be learning this morning as they're walking through the story of God from beginning to end. And, um, and so it's exciting for them to get to do that. I also want to ask, uh, as you know, we're, we're, we're having lunch today immediately afterwards. Uh, if you didn't bring anything, that's great because nobody was asked to. So you can actually stay and feel guilt-free this time. And, uh, and so we want to ask you to stay around. We are, we are uh, spending the day today commissioning uh, Dan and Abby. As you know, they are going to be leaving uh, after this Sunday to go and, and on to the mission field in Dubai and serve there with one of the partners that we have had the, the privilege to work with for All Mankind Movement. We're going to have a time to share with them, have a few people share. We know in the room, everyone could have a word they could share with them. And we know that, that is, for time's sake, really difficult. And so uh, in the back, if you see there's a, a nice flower arrangement there, there's a book there. We're just asking that any of you that would like to write out a prayer to them, a thankful, uh, maybe a note of thanksgiving to them for, uh, in behalf of what they've done in your life, uh, maybe a, a scripture, something that you'd like to share with them. I would ask that it's going to be up during our whole lunch time and during, during our... Uh, fellowship time together. So I want to ask if you would make, make some time to go do that and just so they can have something to take uh, with them. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we're going to begin our time together this morning. We're going to jump around into a couple of different passages. And this morning we are beginning a new sermon series called Questions with Clarity. Questions with Clarity. And what the vision behind our, this series that we're going to be doing uh, annually is to take some of the questions of the faith, maybe not only the, the, the questions of the faith, maybe just questions that we have in general in life and how the Bible speaks to those things. And our goal is to take those things so they may be uh, isolated in their content and that they, they're, they're not always going to connect well together. They're going to be just different questions that we have encountered that maybe, just maybe, we have thought we have answered correctly, but when we take God's word, maybe we may see something different. Maybe God's word will shed a light. And so our, our, our thought through this series is that we will take these questions and we will not answer them with tradition. We will not answer them with our own insight, our own think, uh, thoughts and wishes. But we're going to take God's word for what God's word says. And we're going to answer these questions that we believe God speaks to in his word. I believe, I believe that this series could be an incredible opportunity for us to grow in our knowledge of the church, to grow in our knowledge of the church's mission, to grow into our knowledge of what our purpose is here on this earth. So over the course of this series, we're going to dive in to some very foundational, yet really complex and deep and difficult passages uh, to answer. Now, I find it often convenient that uh, Dan thought this would be an excellent series for our body to cover, and it's the first one that he's not going to be here. So uh, I thought we were friends like that, but uh, leave me with it. But life is full of questions, isn't it? You know, I just began with one. <laughs> there you go. A little slow this morning. 
if you think over the course of your day, life is full of questions and answers. It's full of complete just questions and answers and how we respond to those things. Carmen and I have twin seven-year-old girls, as many of you know and have had the opportunity to meet. I don't know what happens around the age of seven, but questions begin to just pop up all in their mind. Their kids are so curious. They want to know about everything, everything. You know, why do we have to go to bed? You know, you try to explain the physical need for rest and it's because we said so. I mean, you know, that's just the answer you have to end up with. You know, why, 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 what are we eating for dinner? Is there a monster in my closet? Can we have a snack? You know, question after question. I ventured yesterday into a, my first role ever uh, in tr- attempting to coach a group of seven-year-old girls in soccer. And the questions, I felt like God was tapping me on the shoulder going, here's a little illustration right here. You know, I'm sitting here in a soccer game and we're coaching these kids and they're running around playing. And I hear one of them sitting on the ground. We had a couple of girls that were sitting out that time. And they said, uh, uh, Mr. Chad, and I said, yeah, yeah, I turned around. It was the middle of a soccer game. Now there's action going on. We're cheering for our team. I grew up in a sports family, so I'm like, we're into the game. And uh, the little girl says, is it weird to eat grass? <laughs> well, I mean, so I had to answer. Uh, well, I guess somewhat. Um, and she says, well, it kind of tastes pretty good. And I was like, I couldn't argue with that. I've never tried it. So I was like, I guess I'll just have to go with you on that one. But, you know, when they get older, as we continue to get older, questions never stop. They just evolve. What should I major in? Who should I marry? What job should I take? You know, and they get deeper and they get more complex. And we begin to ask, why do bad things happen? Sorry, I'm going to get this fixed in a minute. It's driving me nuts. Why do bad things happen? What should our role be as a church in social justice? What is the church? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? How can I walk closer to him as his disciple? We ask these deep questions that have such deep answers. And the problem for us, I believe, is that often the answers to a lot of life's questions, particularly in how they relate to our faith, have been answered with tradition, with personal opinion, opinion, and not necessarily the foundation from God's word. What we have always thought to be the answer may very well not be the answer. And so for these next five weeks, we're going to tackle five questions to try to look at what God's Word says in relation to those. And so this morning, I want us to dive into God's Word, and I want us to look at the question of what is biblical church leadership? What is biblical church leadership? Now, I know that that sermon title alone made many of you think, I knew I should have stayed in bed today. Something told me to. And what does this have to do with me? And passages on church leadership, you know, as we look at them, they're, they're the passages in your Bible that the pages are still stuck together. You've not ripped those things apart yet. You, you, you find that you come to a passage like leadership in the church and you're often tempted, attempt, you're, you're tempted to just skip ahead to look at something more exciting, to look at something more relevant, something more encouraging, something that might speak specifically to your situation. And so for many of you, you come to a passage like we're going to look at this morning and you either one, you know, really don't, don't care or two, don't really know how to relate it to your life. So it's something that you'll think about one day. 
And what I hope we'll see this morning is that biblical church leadership affects every single follower of Christ. Church leadership, in the proper view of it, affects every single follower of Christ. As the church, the health of the leadership within the church will play a major role in the overall health of the body. If church leadership approaches God and his holiness and his overall mission for the church to take the gospel to the nations, if they take that very casually, then the church will approach that mission very casually. And when the leadership fails to lead you towards a proper view of God and a proper view of his bride, the church, and a proper view of his mission, then many unreached people who have never heard of the name of Jesus will continue to be unreached. But on the flip side, if your church leadership approaches God very passionately, approaches his mission very intentionally, then the church will lead closer to the heart of God, closer to the mission of God, closer to becoming the called out people of God that he has redeemed for his global mission purposes to the ends of the earth. So then as a people, we will take seriously the call to discipleship. We will take seriously the call to missions and seriously our high view of the holiness of God. So church leadership is essential. Now, I know that in a room this size, there are some of you here this morning who have been mentored, you have been discipled, you have been encouraged by church leadership. I can think back over my life at the people who have poured into me, the people that have poured into my life, that have shaped me. Who I am standing before you today is because of the work of the Holy Spirit through the lives of many people who have poured into my life to where I could grow to greater depths of intimacy with God and it shaped who I am. Many of you can think of leaders in your spiritual journey. But I also believe that in a room this size, with this many people in there, that some of you in this room have been hurt by someone in leadership. In fact, the damage sometimes caused by church leadership is so great that it has caused many to push away from the church and many to push ultimately away from Christ. So no matter whether you are currently a leader in the church or one serving in the church, or a member of the church. Church leadership and a getting a healthy picture of leadership the way Christ designed it to be is essential for us. Essential for us as a body, but it's also essential for the millions of people, the billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. So in order to properly understand the specifics of leadership roles that I hope to be able to unpack for you and how they play themselves out in our local church as we are an elder-led church and we are in preparation in the next couple weeks of having our first deacon body in place. And so we want to talk about those specific roles, but I think in order to get to an understanding of a proper biblical view of church leadership, we have to begin with some pretty foundational truths. So I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 15. Scripture begins by saying, rather speaking the truth in love, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first foundational truth that we have to get before we dive into some specifics is that Christ 
is the head of his church. Christ is the head of his church. Here's some other scriptures. If you can write these down for the sake of time, we won't go through each one of them. Ephesians 5.23, it compares the, a marriage relationship. It compares the, the husband and wife relationship. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself his Savior. Colossians 1.18, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Before you and I can properly get an understanding of proper church leadership, we have to realize that Christ is the only head of the church. We must know that everything we do, both as a church and as individual leaderships, uh, responsibilities and roles found under the church, everything we do rests under the authority of Jesus Christ as the creator and the leader of his church. The church, listen to me, the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. So it shouldn't be ran like a human organization because the head of this organism is holy. Do you see that? As Christ is the head of our church, we cannot, we cannot run our church like a business or an organization. It can't run like human-led organizations because the head of this church is holy and sacred and set apart. We get our nourishment. We get our leadership from the head. Just as the body, the brain controls the body, the, our, the head of the church controls the church. Everything we do flows out of an understanding of who we are in Christ and who he is, putting him in his proper place as the leader of the church and submitting to his leadership. So pastors and elders Apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, overseers, whatever word we want to use, every person who leads the local church does so out of a humble submission to Jesus Christ. In fact, what we learn from this passage of Scripture is that the leadership of the church is a gift from Jesus placed to serve under his lordship. This is not a dictatorship. These are not people who are the board of directors calling the shots. These are servants who have been placed in the body of Christ by God who, who is the head of his church through Jesus. We should not preach any message but the message of Jesus. We should not pursue any mission apart from the mission of Jesus. We shouldn't have no agenda apart from the agenda of Christ, nor should we practice any method apart from the biblical method that Christ laid out for how his church would, would be a presence in the world today apart from Jesus. We cannot do it apart from him. Jesus' way is the only way because Jesus is the head of the church. Now, the second point, if Christ is the head, we need to understand this properly. If Christ is the head of the church, then everything else is body. If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, then everything else is body. The most charismatic leader in a church is a member of the body of Christ. The most Influential leader in the church is, needs just as much grace, needs just as much mercy, needs just as much sanctification as any other member of the body. I find nowhere in the New Testament where the culture of the church should be one where the pastor is separated and isolated from the rest of the body. Though we will see in just a moment that God calls out some to lead in particular ways. He calls out some to, to, to shepherd the body. We still know that church leaders are broken people. They are affected by sin. They are in need of Jesus. 
completely and fully dependent on the Holy Spirit working through us, not because of us. You don't get to a certain level of eliteness where then you can step out of the body and become one of the heads. There's one head and it's Christ, and there's the, everything else that falls under Christ is body. So we need to understand that this morning as we look into these roles. Thirdly, biblical church leadership is designed by God. So I want you to see that what we are going to talk about this morning is our leadership structure. This is not something that, that we just creatively came up with and said, what would be the best strategy to be able to lead people on mission together? No, we say, let's take God's word. And what does God's word say to us about how the church is to be led? We must be careful as we approach the subject, the subject of church leadership to see that it is not man's invention. So we must be careful to not alter God's design for the leadership of his church. So biblical church leadership is designed by God. The fourth thing, if you're a member of the body, then you are called to follow the servant leadership of Christ-led leaders. In, in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it tells, in a writing to the people, in Hebrew, uh, the people of Hebrews, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Because why? For, because they are keeping watch over your souls. And listen to these next words for a pastor of some of the most terrifying. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So the, leader God, the leaders God establishes over his church, they have a weighty responsibility. Who will give an account for how we led as shepherds. So as members of, your, of this body, I pray that you pray for it, encourage, and build up your leadership. Follow along in the mission that God is leading us on. Also, if you're a member of the body, a fifth thing, you are a minister of the gospel. Okay, let's not miss that. As we're talking about church leadership, let's not equate that necessarily completely with a, a definition of church leadership means ministers. In Ephesians chapter 4, just preceding this verse, in verse, verse 12, it says that the purpose of the leadership in the church is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Leaders in the church are not designed to do all of the work. The body of Christ is incomplete in the work of ministry if it's left to only a handful of leaders. The scriptures in Ephesians 4 leads us to this understanding that the role of the leaders of the local body is to equip you to carry out the work of the ministry. You bring a unique gift set to the body. And so as you pray and you seek your place in the body, you please don't see that the work of the ministry is only being done if you have a title. The word minister does not define my pastoral role in this church. It does not define me as an elder. The word minister defines my function, and it is a function that we all have. We are to be about being ministers of the gospel. And finally, the, before we jump into to another passage, the relationship between the church leadership and the church is to be a display of God's glory. That's our ultimate desire is that the way in which the church leadership leads the body and the way in which the body responds to church leadership should be a beautiful picture to the world around us of the glory of God. It should show the world around us what his body looks like. Just like as in a physical marriage, a, a, a marriage here on earth, uh, between a man and a woman, the man, the way in which he relates to his wife and the way in which his wife relates to, to, her, to, to him in submission and his leadership is a picture of the gospel. 
It's not just so that things go well for your marriage. It's so that the world can get a visual picture here on this earth of a marriage relationship between Christ and his church. Same with leadership. As the leadership responds and, and leads the church in humble submission to Christ, then the, and as the church responds, it is, it is a display of God's glory. So let's go now for, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to dive in this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we take God's word, depending on your denominational background or your church background, you're going to see this morning that many church structures look differently. The church I grew up in looked differently. You know, some are built around a structure that you will see has no parallel to the structure for the church that God's word will describe for us this morning in Timothy. Some are based on tradition. Some are based on man's design. Some are based on a corporate picture to the church that mirrors the corporate world in our society. Many will, rem- will mirror a democratic government of our country. There's an influence in the local church of that. But on the other hand, some churches, some churches are very serious about obeying the word of God. They are very serious about following God's command. But yet, there is still a wide variety of pictures of church leadership. And so what happens is, what I believe, as a church, we have to take what we know for certain from Scripture. As Scripture leaves some gray areas, and Scripture leads some things that we have to kind of fill in, we have to take what we know for certain for Scripture, from Scripture pertaining to the church and leadership and then build our structure around what we know for certain from the Word. So I want us to read together this picture of Paul writing to Timothy about what the church and how the church should be led. Two primary leadership roles we will see. Verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now let me stop there to say overseer, elder, pastor. These words are used synonymous through the New Testament. So we're talking about the one who is overseeing and leading the church. If anyone aspires to this office, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Verse 8. So deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So two roles in the local church. We have elders, which I could, ba- I could best define as servant leaders. And then we have deacons, which I could best define as leading servants. Elders, overseers, pastors, leading uh, servant leaders, deacons, leading servants. I want to take both of these. The word elder is used synonymously with pastor and overseer. 
So what is the role of an elder? And I want to look at this for just a moment. Hold your place in 1 Timothy and go to Acts 20. Now stay with me. Don't, don't check out. This has some extremely important uh, applications for you in just a moment. So Acts chapter 20. And we're going to begin looking in verse 28. As, as, as the church in Acts is being commissioned and, and as they are giving them instructions on how to best lead the church, there is a warning that comes here. There's a warning that as we look at the pattern of leadership in the New Testament, the beauty of church leadership as we see it in Scripture, we'll see that there is a warning that comes to leaders. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. We get such a nice picture. If we look in 1 Timothy, we see the qualifications that I'll look at in just a moment for an elder. But we see what an elder does so vividly in Acts chapter 20. First of all, we see that elders lead under the authority of God. We've talked about how the Christ is the head of the church. All leaders come underneath the head. What we see in this passage is that elders lead under the authority of God, not on their own authority. God is the authority. He reveals himself through the scripture, which is the authoritative word in our life. So elders belong to the church. Elders belong to the church. That is why they are called servant Leaders. This is not a position that is campaigned for. You don't run and win an election to be an elder. But instead, the Spirit of God sets aside men to lead under his authority. And the greatest measure of submission to authority is seen in the end of verse 28 when God says that the church that the elders are overseeing was obtained by his own blood. Elders cannot approach church leadership lightly when they realize the weight that this carries. So elders protect the mission. They protect the vision. They protect the unity. And they oversee the daily life of the church, but they do so out of a humble submission to the authority of God. We also see from this passage that elders care for the body of Christ. You see in this passage this, 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 look, this, this uh, analogy of a shepherd. They oversee Elders in this church, they sit on top of the church. That's where we get overseer. They gauge the spiritual health of the church. They point out areas that need direction, not in a domineering way, but in a very Christ-like servant way. And we get this visual of a shepherd guiding his sheep, caring for the body of Christ. We see from this passage of scripture that they protect the flock. They oversee, they watch out for enemies. They watch out for false teaching. They watch out for unbiblical influences. They oversee the church so that as you are growing as a disciple of Christ in the context of this local church, they they are guiding that process to protect the flock. They have the primary role of guarding and watching over your lives, watching over the lives of the church as one who will give an account. But not only do do elders care for the body of Christ by protecting the flock, but they, don't, but they also care for the body of Christ by nurturing the flock. By nurturing the flock. The role of an elder is not just to pet the sheep. 
The role of an elder is to also feed the sheep. To make sure that you are growing in your walk with Christ. To make sure that you are being cared for through the ministry of the word. To make sure that we are praying for you. Making sure that we are doing all that we can to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus. So elders care for the body of Christ. Elders also teach the word of God. A man who is not able to teach the scriptures is not qualified to be an elder according to 1 Timothy. You know, God's word has the power to build up the church. To encourage us in our walk. To teach us the things we are to obey, which means that elders of the church must walk very closely to the word of God. We do not put elders in place who are charismatic leaders on their own. We we cannot rely on our own leadership abilities and strength. We have to walk near the word, to know the word, to obey it. Now, this doesn't mean that an elder has to always be the one to preach sermons, but we must be able to guide and lead from the entirety of scriptures. You don't follow elder leadership in a church because they have a position. You follow them because they know the word and they teach the word and they follow the word. We also see that elders lead with the character of Christ. And we see in in Timothy and Titus a list of qualifications. And you you can go through the list and we see that these things are qualifications for how an elder should be. What his, his characteristics should be like what kind of man he should be, what kind of walk he should be. We see from that particular scripture that that an elder is limited, and we'll talk about this in a moment, is limited to to men of the church by God's design. I want to talk about that that at the end. But the bottom line on elders is we look at the qualification for elders. We look at what their role is to be, how they are to walk. At the end of the day, what we see, the bottom line is what will happen if the church imitates its leaders. What will happen is if elder leaders who are walking over this church and their life exemplifies the life of Christ, they carry the weight of the, the word on their shoulders, they walk and they guide you in that, and if you, can you look at their life and can you imitate their life, this is what a shepherd should look like. It is not a top-down leading with this authority that we just pass the word down and you do, but this is a humble servant leadership the way Christ would, 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 would show us that as he walks with his disciples. And as though he's leading them, he shows them what it means to be a humble servant. He tells us to do likewise. This is what a shepherd should look like. A shepherd should guide and lead the church under the authority of Christ. At Venue, we have elders. And the elders in place are men who prayerfully and cautiously approach God's word seeking sensitivity for the Holy Spirit on how to best lead you so that you grow, so that you grow in your walk with Christ. That is our goal. That is our goal. You can ask these other guys, the pay ain't good for them serving. Their desire is to lead you because their heart is for you to grow deeper in your walk with Christ. Their heart is for you to grow deeper in the mission of God. Their desire is to commission you out as ministers of the gospel to go and to spread the good news of Jesus. But in our passage in Timothy, we see the second group, and that is deacons. The word group for deacon is used more than 100 times in the New Testament. And being that we are all called to serve in the church is an indication to us that deacons are leading servants. 1 Timothy 3 gives us these good pictures of elders, and we see it in Acts 20, but I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 6, and I want us to get a picture of what a deacon does in the local church. Now, for some of you, the word deacon brings a background of meanings. 
And for you, what we're going to see this morning is your understanding of deacon leadership may seem misaligned with God's word. So my prayer this morning is that you will try to, you will, you will try to get the traditional picture of deacon out of your mind, whatever that may look like. Deacons are not the board of directors who supervise the pastor. Or it's sometimes in my past that talk about him when he preaches too long. Or <laughs> The deacons are not overseers of the local church. But let's dig deeper into the role to see what deacons do. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Notice they never said that it was serving tables was not important. They say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And look what happens. And the word of God continued to increase. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see the balance there? You have elders overseeing, leading the church, you have deacons serving the church, and the combination of the two together with the Holy Spirit working as the word is ministered, as the elders are faithful to prayer, faithful to the ministry of the word, the word of God continued to increase, and disciples were multiplied. So what do we see about a deacon's role? First of all, deacons meet needs according to God's word. So whereas an elder is a submission to God's word and leading in the word, deacons meet needs according to God's word. Spiritual service service aimed at meeting specific needs. So when you look at the passage in Acts 6, we see that the deacon's ministry arose from a very specific situation that was taking place. Women are widows who God has instructed through his word, through the word that we would take care of, of, of widows and orphans. They were being neglected. And the, and the elders said, well, the, the deacons, their role is going to be to help serve in this way. When you look at the passage in Acts 6, it rose, the, the ministry of the deacons arose from a very specific situation. The church was growing. They were generous to each other. And someone had to lead out in the giving of relief to those in need. Someone needed to lead out in this area. So the overseers recognized this. And rather than neglecting the ministry of the word and prayer, they set apart those who could meet those needs, who could serve in that area. This was so critical in the early church because this was a practical way to serve widows, which got to the heart of Jesus' ministry. So, so what we find here is that deacons were upholding the word of God, holding it high as the elders let out in it. And, in, and by serving in very tangible ways, they were reinforcing God's word and seeing that things were done to reinforce God's word. 
care for widows. They served in a way in which the word, in which the elders held high, which they commanded the people to do. There was an expectation that widows would be taken care of. And because of this, the servants step in and they help the elders in that way by, by serving in that capacity. So critical in the early church. Today, deacons serve in ways that enable the church to carry out God's instructions. We are to, we, God calls us as a church to gather together. Deacons serve to make what, we do, what we're doing here today possible. Orphan care. We are called to do that. Deacons help in serving in a way to encourage and equip and, and empower you to be able to, to, to live out that biblical mandate. So deacons, deacons are crucial. They meet needs according to God's word. But secondly, deacons support the ministry of the word. Let me put, let me put it this way. Deacons serve elders so elders can lead. Deacons serve elders so elders can lead. In this passage, the elders were being taken away from the ministry of the word. And I can tell you just from this morning and our time of setup, there is a lot of things, that tasks that can pull away from what is most important, and that is through prayer and preparation for God's word. And deacons serve the elders so they can lead. So to see a deacon as an overseer who supervises a staff or the pastor, is just, it's just simply not biblical. There's just nowhere in God's word that we see where a deacon is to have any kind of oversight. A deacon is to have any kind of, of, of sitting over the church and directing and leading like an elder. There are two different, uh, two different uh, roles that are, that are played in, out in God's word, two different roles, two different responsibilities. And so deacons support the ministry of the word. A deacon is set apart to serve. And finally, we see that deacons unify the body around the word. Do you see what was happening here? There was this biblical instruction and, the, and the, the, the deacons helped to gather the people and to take care of these real tangible needs so that the word of God could, to, could continue to increase. So deacons have a mission mindset. The church is on a mission to make the gospel known to all nations and deacons serve in a way to help make that possible. They have a Christ-like character. In Acts 6, there were certainly needs that needed to be met, but there were also deeper issues because tensions were rising. The Hellenists were, were making accusations and they were, they were getting angry. Tensions were arising. There were deep issues here and deacons were put in place in order to promote the unity in the church so that the word of God could be held high and continue to grow and flourish throughout the region. So then we look at the question of who is qualified to serve as the deacon. And if you look in 1 Timothy, if you could return with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the list of what it looks like someone who can be a deacon. And as we look through this list, they're to be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, but they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let, deacon, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence, confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons ultimately exemplify the character of Christ. That is what a deacon does. Now, the million-dollar question that always comes up at this point is what about the role of women serving as deacons in the church? Now, to properly understand and try to answer this question, 
I need to lay some backdrop to this discussion. First of all, men and women are created equally. Okay? Men and women are created equally. We see this in the role of marriage. They're created equally, but yet they are created with distinct roles. So, so elders are, 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 as we see in God's word, they're their elders are designated as men only. This has nothing to do with giftedness. This has nothing to do with men being more important than women. This has everything to do with God ordaining in his word the biblical roles of men and women in the context of the local church. We see that women are restricted because of this in service to the church in a couple of ways. First of all, in teaching. By God's design, women are not uh, the role of a woman is not to teach and lead the church through the ministry of the word. This is not the role of a woman in the local church. Now, that's not to say that women can't teach. There are women teaching our kids and they're teaching in other contexts. But ultimately, doing the ministry of the word, the preaching, leading, women are, are just by God's design, that's not their role to lead the church through the ministry of the word. Nor is a woman's role to be an overseer. Women by design are not to lead and oversee the church as a whole by God's design. Again, not, not any, created equally, yet created with distinct roles. And so when we come to this discussion of women serving as deacons, I want to just begin by saying that biblical scholars that I greatly respect and cling to for their knowledge of God's word, commentaries, any way you look at this, biblical scholars fall on both sides of the question. Biblical scholars in the same vein who take God's word the same and who would interpret all of theology the same fall on both sides of this question. But as we have taken God's word and as we have studied this passage, I believe that we see in God's word in the context of how we just described elders' roles and deacons' roles, I, I believe that we see in Scripture that it would affirm women serving as deacons. Now, let me explain this for just a moment. Because for some of you, that's, that's a shock. For me, it was a shock when I, because of the church I grew up in. But let me explain this just a bit. When we have elders who are overseeing the church, elders who are sitting over the body, overseeing, teaching, ministering the word, clearly designated to be men leadership, and then we have deacons who are servants, then I believe that we see in God's word that this is permissible. Now, let me give you some reasons for that because I don't want you to just take me, take me at my word. A couple of reasons here. And again, this, you could fall on either side of this equation. First of all, if you look back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, there is a word there that you would say, well, this is, that's a terrible theology because the word says, their wives. So how could it be a woman serving as a deacon, but it says there that her, what her wife should be, what, what his wife should be like? Well, in order to get a deeper understanding of this, if you go back to the original manuscript, the word there in verse 11 is not found in the original Greek. Some translators think that it is implied, but that is certainly not an explicit view. So we see here that, that, that word to say their wives by the original, we would see the flow of being quali qualifications for overseers, a deacon likewise, and then wives likewise, opening the door that there's a possibility for women to serve as deacons. Some, some translators would fall on that. Secondly, I find it quite interesting, I find it quite interesting that Paul would talk 
about deacons' wives, but not talk about elders' wives. If you take the passage in 1 Timothy, and you look in that, the qualifications for overseers, it says what an elder should be like, verses 1 through 7. It says how he should serve. It mentions nothing of his wife. But then we get to deacons, which are a, a role that is not overseeing and guiding and ministering the word, and we have deacons, and then there's a discussion about what his wife should be like. So why would Paul talk about deacons' wives but not elders' wives? Why would there be a distinction there if that were not the case? A third reason. The overall structure of this passage unfolds where Paul uses the word likewise to transition from elders to deacons and then to wives. So if we take this passage of Scripture... We see what, a, what, a, what an overseer is to be. Verse 8, deacons likewise. It says what a deacon should be. Verse 11, wives likewise. The context, the flow of the scripture relates to where it flows from one to the next. So we see this, this real, how, the, how Paul unfolds this passage as, as, as opening the door for that. But then fourthly, and one that I think is very foundational for us this morning, is that in Romans 16, in Romans 16, we find a person mentioned in the word, a lady named Phoebe, who was referred to as a deacon in the local church. says, I commend to you, Phoebe, a servant, a deaconess in the local church. So Paul, in fact, mentions women serving the church 17 times in the New Testament. There is a reference to a woman serving in the local church. So I think it's important for us to see that it is only in the correct structure that I believe that this is possible. Okay, now now, now, track with me with this for just a moment. If there are not elders in place, and there are not men overseeing the church in prayer and in ministry of the word, then I believe that women should not be in the place of serving as a deacon because that is not a true picture of what a deacon is in God's word, a servant. If there are not elders in place and there are no overseers in the church in a proper context and deacons are, for whatever reason, leading the church, then women should not be in this place of serving. So it is limited to an understanding of the context of the word. But... If there's a proper oversight provided by elders and deacons are serving as lead servants in the church, then I believe it is permissible for women to serve in that capacity. Now, if you look at your local church and you look at the church you probably grew up in, that was probably not the case. Men were deacons. But what we find quite interesting is that if you look and think back into your church, there were women serving in that role that were not given that label. There were women who were godly. There were women who walked close to the word of God. There were women who were leading the church. They were women, not leading the church, and women who were serving the church. They were serving in these roles. They were, make, they were the ones in the, making the, the, the wheel keep turning. But yet they were not recognized as that. And that's because, and in my church is the same, because there was no elder oversight. There was no elder leadership. And so when we consider the responsibilities of deacons, Meeting needs according to the word. Supporting the ministry of the word. Unifying the body around the word. 
And I just don't see anything in God's word that would lead us to believe that this should only include men. Now, this may be an adjustment for some, but I think we're taking solid steps in God's word in this that are safe steps. Now, again, I, I preface all that by saying that people fall on both sides of this discussion. And so I don't know if this is going to be one that we're going to solve, but this is one that I've taken God's word as, as one of your shepherds, and I've taken God's word, and I've taken the filters off, and I said, God, I don't want to read 1 Timothy 3 with the blinders and the filters of my tradition and my upbringing. I want to read it for what your word says, and I want to read it for how we can best lead this body of Christ so that it is built up, so that hearts come to know Jesus, disciples are made, and missionaries are sent out in commission for the sake of spreading the gospel to all the world. And as I take that, I believe that, that God leaves that, makes that, leaves that room there for that to be permissible. So, what is our response to this leadership? In conclusion, what do we do as the church? Because all this has an application for you. I said in the beginning that church leadership is important for everyone who's a church, in, in the church. First of all, the church's response to spiritual leadership is that you should accept sound doctrine in your life. You should accept sound doctrine in your life. We live in a time where people are abandoning sound teaching in their life in the name of self-discovery. You can sit here week in and week out, you can hear sound teaching, but you must accept it into your life. As members of a church, you are called to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. So the message that God has for us as a body is not just this ecclesiological buffet where we fix a plate of what fixes our, fits our appetites and we choose to not eat from all of it. We want to take God's word in its entirety and we want to just devour it, whatever it says to us. And your role as the member of the body of Christ is to receive, to receive this sound doctrine in your life. Secondly, to accept biblical correction in your life. We live in a society who has unfortunately watered down and cheapened the biblical calling on our lives to be culturally relevant and seeker-sensitive. We skirt around the issues directly addressed in God's word for the sake of unity. True biblical leaders of churches have at their heart's desire discipleship. So we ask that you accept biblical correction in your life. What does God want to teach you? What is the benefit of the word of God in your life? What do you, how is it profitable to you for teaching? How can it be used to correct you, to train you in righteousness, to equip you for good works? So you receive the word. And finally, accept gospel-centered challenges in your life. Respond to the leadership of the bride by accepting the challenges placed on your life. Sometimes the role of the leaders in our church is going to be to push you beyond your comfort zone. As a church, if our goals and dreams are reachable without God, then we need bigger dreams. Part of our goal as elders and leaders in this church is going to be to push you in your walk with Christ. My prayer for us as a church is that we will allow ourselves to be pushed in our faith by the godly leadership he has placed here to accomplish much for this kingdom. Now, this may shape our mission. The elders are going to ask you at times to give. We're going to ask you that these are needs that we have in the church, and they are what God has laid on our heart. We need you to give. Give of your time. Give of your comfort. Give of your money. Give of whatever it takes to accomplish what God has laid on our hearts as we are in humble submission to Christ as the head of the church. Sometimes the, the challenge is going to be for you to go, 
to go. There are billions of people in the world who have never heard of Jesus Christ. And we can't just find ourselves sitting here in, the, in our church week in and week out, absorbing the word of God that is a word to, that commissions the people of God to go to the ends of the earth. We, cannot, can sit there and, we can't sit there week in and week out and embrace that and absorb that and experience that and affirm that and not act on that. God has placed leadership in this church who believe in the gospel to the nations And we need you who are willing to come alongside of us to go so that others may know of Jesus Christ. So why is this important for us this morning? We are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to align ourselves extremely close to God's word and what we know to be truth about his church and what we know to be true about his leadership and allow Christ as the head of our church to nurture us and to feed us and to guide us as the head. Let's pray together.